What's happening in Hebrews? Yep, we're back. I know it's been a while. It took us 16 weeks to do Hebrews 6 on Hopeology. It took us 17 weeks to deal with abolishing anxiety. And so uh, having taken all that time out of Hebrews, we'd probably be done with Hebrews by now. But uh, we're not. We're only in uh, the book of Hebrews, the seventh chapter. But we want to let you know about what's happening in Hebrews. And no better time than today to do that, knowing that last week you were sitting in your own sweat for at least an hour outside as sweat began to drip off your brow and uh, under your armpits. And don't want to get too graphic here, but uh, uh, we all began to smell pretty bad last week. But this week, it's different. It's a lot cooler. We're inside. There's no smoke in the air. Things have changed. And that's really the way it's been for the last 25 weeks. There's been nothing but but constant change. So much so that we never know what's going to happen from one day to the next. Uh, There's so much change in our country and so much change in our lives. What is going to happen next, we we don't know. But Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That there is a constant, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. It, It speaks of his reliability. It speaks of his faithfulness. It speaks of his trustworthiness. It speaks of his credibility. While everything else changes around us, and we do, we get older, uh, uh, we, we change jobs, we, we change uh, places to live, uh, all kinds of things change around us. But Jesus Christ is always the same. That's why he is the anchor for our soul. That's why we can go to him in times of difficulty, in times of hardship, and lean upon him and trust him and believe in all that he says. And so Jesus Christ is that reliable one. And so when you look at what's happening in Hebrews, you understand that the theme of Hebrews is the superiority and the sufficiency of Christ. If you see him as superior, you then will be satisfied with his sufficiency. If you do not see him as superior, you'll never be satisfied. Because you won't see him as sufficient. And so the writer of Hebrews, maybe it's the Apostle Paul, maybe it's somebody else, we don't necessarily know who it is. And that's really not important because we know it's inspired by the living God. And so it's God who's speaking to Jewish people, which is really important because Romans 1.16 tells us that Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, to those of us who are sitting here today. But it's the power of God unto salvation. And the writer of Hebrews knows that and God is going to communicate to the Jewish nation. That's important. Why? Because, Because it's all about Israel. Life is all about it. From the very beginning, from the seed in Genesis 3.15 that Patrick spoke about several weeks ago, from the seed in Genesis 3.15 to the second coming of Christ in Revelation 19, it's all about Israel. Now, you've heard me say, and it's not original with me, that whatever happens in an election year that's significant always deals with the election. It always does. Go back to the Obama years, go back to the Clinton years, go back to the Reagan years, go back to the Bush years. Whatever happens during the year of the election has to do with the election. And that's true all throughout history. 
And that's why I've always told you that when you vote, you always vote for the candidate that is pro-Israel. Why? Because everything in the world revolves around that little piece of real estate in the Middle East. You see, we're so consumed with COVID and so consumed with maybe going to school, not going to school, going back to work, not going to work. We're so consumed with what's happening in America, we've lost sight of what the Bible says concerning Israel and how important they play in all things. That's very important to realize this. In fact, it's so important that, believe it or not, our president has been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Who would have ever thought of that two weeks ago? But four weeks ago, when Israel signed a peace treaty with United Arab Emeritus, it went virtually unnoticed in secular media. Virtually unnoticed which would make it the third Arab nation, Egypt, Jordan, and then the United Arab Emeritus, the third Arab nation to sign a peace treaty with Israel. Now, why is that important? And then on Friday, there was the fourth Arab nation, Bahrain. Why is that important? Because they are saying that the 22 Arab nations are all going to follow suit and sign a peace treaty with Israel. So, it is important because if you read your Bible, you understand that in Daniel chapter nine, the Antichrist is gonna confirm the treaties already made with Israel. And in order for there to be a temple on the Temple Mount next to the Dome of the Rock, there's going to have to be peace between the Arab nations and Israel because Israel already has all the garments, the priestly garments sewn and put together for the priestly tribe to lead in worship in the temple. They already have all the furniture done for the temple. All they need now is a temple that they believe they will build to usher in the Messiah. You see, we are closer to the end than we've ever been. And now China, I don't know if you know this or not, but China is getting together with the European Union, three superpowers, China, European Union, and the United States. And China is getting together with the European Union to, to convince them to not side with the United States of America. Why is that important? Simply because in Daniel chapter 7, the European Union is the infrastructure of the nations that come against Israel. And China, in Revelation 16, is one of the kings of the east that come against Israel. And the good old U.S. of A. is never mentioned in prophecy. So we are closer to the end than we've ever been before. And so as we think about what's happening 
knowing that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes because he's got a plan, and the plan is right on course. The plan is always plan A. There is no plan B in heaven. It's just plan A, and everything is moving right on course. And so whoever we elect in November, listen carefully, whoever we elect in November, whether it be from a Democratic Party or from a Republican Party, is the president that the Lord wants to move us closer to the end. That's very important to understand that. Always have a biblical perspective because God puts in office those whom he chooses. He's in charge and God has a plan. And Israel is the major factor in that plan. And the book of Hebrews is written to the nation of Israel. To help them understand that the Messiah has come, he is superior, he is supreme, and he is sufficient. You need to give your life to him. You need to trust him. And so when you, when you read the book of Hebrews, you know that it leads you to one of six things, maybe all six of them together. One, it leads you into exalting Christ as Lord. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son when he appointed heir of all things, or whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. In other words, the, the, the book of Hebrews begins with exalting Christ as superior, because he is. He is supreme. And therefore, we worship him as king of kings, as, as lord of lords. And he is superior over angels. He is superior over Moses. He is superior over the priesthood because he is the ultimate high priest. He is superior over the judges. He's superior over the prophets because he is the son of the living God. And so because he is exalted and we are to lift him on high, then we as individuals live to the glory and honor of God. We live to exalt him. Listen, if you're into self-exaltation, you're going to hate the book of Hebrews. If you love to exalt yourself, forget about Hebrews because it's not about you and Hebrews. It's all about Christ. It's all about lifting him up, putting him on display. And there's to be glory in the church. Ephesians 3, verse number 21. Let there be glory in the church. And that's individually as well as corporately. But when we gather together as a body, when we come together, we come together to reveal the Christ. Why? Because as parts of the body, the best way for us to portray Christ is when we come together. He is our head. We are the body. And we gather together because he inhabits the praises of his people. And we come to reveal the Christ. We are here today to reveal to you Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when we leave this place, we reveal Christ as Lord. That's what we're about. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is about. It's about exalting Christ as head of the church. It's exalting Christ as Lord of the universe. So we exalt him. So when we read the book of Hebrews, it leads us to exaltation. It leads us to putting Christ on display. Number two, it leads us to expectation. Expectation. Listen, if you're into self-exaltation, then your expectations are very, very low because they're all about you. And your expectations will always fall short. 
You'll always be disappointed. They'll never come to fruition as you imagine them to come to fruition. But if you're into exalting Christ, then you're into expecting Christ. Look over in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was at the first spoken through the Lord? Verse 5. For he did not subject to angels the world to come. There's a world to come. And so the book of Hebrews is about the superiority and the sufficiency of Christ who has come and who is coming and there's going to be a world where Hebrews 9 tells us we will receive the promise of our inheritance. And Hebrews 11 tells us these words, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 10, for Abraham was looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. Verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who, are, who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, when you read the book of Hebrews, when you study the book of Hebrews, it's all about the nation of Israel. It causes you to live in expectation. Because we exalt Christ as king, we expect the king to return. And we expect the king to set up his kingdom. And we expect to rule and reign with him in that kingdom. There's an expectation that comes when you read the book of Hebrews. And then thirdly, there is an exhortation. It leads us to exaltation. It leads us to expectation. It leads us to exhortation. Back in Hebrews chapter 13, at the very end, verse number 22 says, But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. This word of exhortation, this word of consolation. It says over in verse number 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. That's Hebrews 1, 1 to 2, right? For he has spoken to us in these latter days through his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We can't refuse the one who has spoken. We need to hear the words of our Lord. There's an exhortation that he gives, and it leads us to that exhortation. It leads us to that consolation. It leads us to obedience because we hear what God says. Very, very important. That's why in Hebrews 3, verse number 1, it says, consider Jesus. Not just consider his personhood, but consider everything that he has said. He is the word of the Lord. Consider the word that he has communicated to us, that we might understand that word, that we might follow that word. And so we need to be careful to hear this word of exhortation and to uphold this word of exhortation. So in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, when he says, let us consider, let us think deeply about how we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds, so important for us as the church to understand that. 
That, that's why we, we told you last week that it, it's very hard to have church virtually, right? I know we live stream this first service, but that's very difficult because, listen, although you can perceive church, you can't participate with the church. There's a big difference there. You can watch it, but you're not engaged with the people of God. To be able to be moved, stimulated, motivated to love and good deeds, encouraged to follow the Lord. All that's very, very important. That's why the body of Christ is meant to be together, to worship the Lord together, to honor the Lord together. Listen, you know, so many times we, we miss this. Remember uh, a few weeks ago, the lawsuit by that Calvary Chapel in Nevada who sued the governor because they believed they were an essential business that needed to be open along with the casinos? Remember that? And they lost their lawsuit. They made a huge mistake. They equated themselves with another organization. And you can never equate the church with any organization on the planet because the church is an organism, not an organization. Casinos are not an organism. Your college, your Christian college is not an organism. It is an organization filled with people. But the church, the body of Christ is different. You see, I told you last week, it's so easy for us to devalue the church. And one thing that COVID-19 has taught us is that most Christians have devalued the church. And it tells us that, that, that one out of every five churches will close in America over the next 18 months. At least that's what the Barna Group tells us. Whether or not it's true or not, time will tell. But the church is devalued when we compare it to, let's say, our school. Well, my kids go to school and they have to wear a mask and they have to social distance and there has to be plastic or plexiglass between the, between the chairs. Why is it when I go to church, I don't have to do that? Because the church is nothing like your school. The church is not your school. And for us to compare it to a school is to devalue the purpose of the church and the people of the church. You see, the church has always been designed to keep government in check, always. It's been designed to do that because we are truth tellers, we are truth promoters. We speak truth, we live truth, we understand the truth, and if we don't help people in the community understand truth, then we failed as a church. And so the church is that one element that tells government you do not have sovereign power over us. Listen, the church in China when it was persecuted, scattered. And when it scattered, communism could rule because it drove the church underground. The biggest threat to communism in China was the church. 
And when the church was together and gathered with hundreds and thousands of people, communism could not flourish. But once they dispersed the church and moved it away to small little house groups, they divided and conquered the church. Not that the church is destroyed. No, it went under. God's going to build his church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But communism began to go all throughout China. And now it's a totalitarian government. But the church is that one element that's designed to do that. To tell the governor, you know, you, you don't have rule over us when it comes to faith and practice. You just don't. You can't tell us we can't sing. You can't tell us we can't take communion. You can't tell us we can't meet. You can't tell us that because you don't have authority. We don't go and arrest people, put them in prison, try them, judge them, and then execute them. Why not? We don't have that authority. God hasn't granted us that authority. The government can't come into the church and say, you can't sing. You must do this, you must do that. They can't do that. Why? They don't have authority in that area when it comes to the faith and practice of the church. That's why it's so important for the church to stand. Do you imagine if every church in the country gathered inside, you'd render the government powerless by telling them you do not have sovereign authority. There's only one with sovereign authority, and that's Jesus Christ our Lord. In fact, Christ told Pilate, you have no authority over me unless it's been granted to you from above. Pilate says, I can, I can release you and I can kill you. And Christ says, no, you can't. Sorry. I know you feel like you had that power, but you don't. Unless it's been granted to you from above. Because all authority has been granted unto me, has been given to me, Christ says, both in heaven and on earth. And because he has all authority, he is our head, he is our ruler. When it comes to the faith and practice of the church, we report only to him. We must follow only him because he is our commander-in-chief. We are his servants and we follow his directives. That's why when we gather together, we gathered together for one purpose, to worship our Lord. And in worshiping him, motivating one another to love and good deeds. That's why the word of exhortation is so incredibly crucial for us to understand. So when we gather together and we study a book like Hebrews that speaks to the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ do we truly believe he is absolutely supreme over the church? Or is there someone else who can tell the church what they can and cannot do? He is the head. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. And we follow the direction of the bridegroom. And one day we will gather together in glory and be presented to his father and to those angels in heaven. And after having been presented to his Father in heaven, we will come back in Revelation 19 with him again in fine linen in white garments, following after our Lord, because now the Lord is going to present the church to the world. You see, he died for the bride, and so he is going to 
show the bride to, glo- to heaven, to his father. And he's going to bring the bride with him to show the world his bride. That's us, the church of Jesus Christ. And the book of Hebrews leads us to exaltation, expectation. It leads us to exhortation. It leads us to examination. We need to examine our lives. We're about to partake of the Lord's table, right? Partake of the Lord's table. Let a man examine himself, the scriptures say. And in the book of Hebrews, there are five warning passages. We have covered three of them. We have two more to go. But we have covered three of them. The first one is in Hebrews 2, verses 1 to 4, which talks about uh, disregarding the salvation of God. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The second one is found in Hebrews 3, verse 7 through 4, verse number 13. It talks about disbelieving the sufficiency of God. And it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the day of provocation in the wilderness. And the exhortation is, come that you might enter into my rest. The third is in Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, verse number 20, which is discrediting the Son of God by not coming to him and crucifying again to open shame the Lord Jesus Christ. And you discredit the value of the Son of God. The fourth is in Hebrews 10, 26 to 31, which despises the Spirit of God. And the last is Hebrews 12, verses 18 to 29, where you disobey the summons from God. And why does the writer of Hebrews do this? Because there are three kinds of people in the church, right? Three kinds of people. There are possessors, there are professors, and there are protesters. Three kinds of people in every church. There are those who possessed Christ as Lord and Savior. Christ lives in them and they possess the Christ. They are called holy brethren in the book of Hebrews. And then there are professors in the church, people who think they're believers, but they are deceived, they are self-deceived. And that's why he gives the warning passages. And then there are also protesters in the church, people that are vehemently opposed to the truth, but just come because they want to pacify their family or, or pacify their friends, but they're really against all the truth. And that's exactly who the writer of Hebrews is addressing when he gives the warning passages. Those of you who protest the truth, those of you who might be just a professor of the truth, but never have possessed that truth, heed the warnings. Because the day is coming when the king is going to return. And how shall you escape such a great salvation if you turn against the savior of the world? So incredibly important. And then the book of Hebrews is, is one that leads us to explanation. That is, it explains to us the identity and the ministry of the Messiah. Unlike any other book, except for maybe, maybe the book of Revelation, the identity of Christ is on full display. Who is Jesus? Because that's what really matters, right? Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Who is Christ? Well, he is the Messiah. He is the Lord of the universe. He is the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He is the all-sufficient savior of mankind. 
Who is Jesus? And then what did Jesus do? The ministry of the Messiah who came and died and offered himself up for you. And is that great high priest who not only offers sacrifices for you, but became the sacrifice for you himself as the Lamb of God. So who is he and what did he do? And now my responsibility. What do I do in, 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 in response to that? How do I respond to Christ as the all-sufficient, superior Savior of the world? That's so important. And lastly, it leads us to excitation. There, there, there is nothing in this life that can excite a child of God more than the identity and ministry of the Messiah and the message that he's given to us. If there's something that excites you more than that, you have a real major spiritual problem. Listen to what it says in, in Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, verse number, number one. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What keeps you going from day to day? What motivates you from day to day? It's Christ, our Savior, our Lord. Consider him who endured such hostility. Consider him who for the joy that was set before him was able to endure the most difficult life in the history of man so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. If in your life you find yourself growing weary and losing heart, could it be that you haven't considered Jesus as you should? the one that's to be exalted in your life, the one that is clearly the expected one, the one who is coming again, that we might worship and reign with him forever. And as we continue our journey through the book of Hebrews, we want you to leave every Sunday knowing that once you leave, the book has led you to exaltation, expectation, exhortation, explanation, excitation, examination. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you for today. A chance once again to, to look into the word of the Lord and to introduce for us once again this great epistle, the book of Hebrews, written to a Jewish nation that so desperately needed to understand who their Messiah was and is and what their response should be to that great Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our prayer today is that, Lord, you would cause us to want to consider you all the more for your beauty, for your glory, 
for all that you are and all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.